Well, for this week's Asri Report, we are joined on the line by Angelo Fik. Angelo, Assalamu alaikum, welcome. Walaikum salam to you and to the listeners. So the President's uh, State of the Nation address was debated in Parliament over two days earlier this week, and then he replied to MPs yesterday. The debate in his response, what for you did it reveal about the calibre of parliamentary politics given the country's many challenges? So I think we're still a country that really values substance or style over substance. We we seem to, our politicians, even inside the governing party and in the opposition benches, are focused on the rhetoric and the style of their delivery and often lose sight of the possibilities open to them to intervene at a more substantial level. Um, you know, the President's State of the Nation address constructed, I think, for opposition parties, the perfect example in his allegory of Tinswalo that they could have responded to by revealing not that Tinswalo does not exist or that she is an invention of the President and his party's imagination, but actually that he only chose Mr. Ramaphosa to tell some aspects of her life that were the positive consequences of his administration and of the African National Congress's government over the last 30 years. They could have included all sorts of other components of such a young person's life at the age of 30 that were the result of, among other things, the failures of state, the failures of planning, and a variety of other issues um, that this particular person and people of that age would have experienced. The majority of South Africans are under 27, and my sense is that politicians in our legislative assemblies, and in this sense, the National Assembly, the NCOP, uh, holding the executive to account through the State of the Nation address, seem very much focused on what it is that people over the age of 40 and, and more will remember about the life that they've lived, that we've all lived over the last 30 years, rather than the deep substance and experience of people who are 30 and younger. Um, in the response to the debates from the opposition benches, uh, the president did the thing that I think he has been known for, for as long as he has been known, even when he was deputy president, as somebody who can be suave, who can be charming, who can invoke uh, rhetoric of a particular kind to persuade his audience, um, in this case, not just the members of parliament sitting in front of him, but the larger South African audience that will watch this, that their perception of things is a skewed perception and his perception and what he has sketched on behalf of his party is in fact uh, the more credible one. And, and this, I think, again, speaks to the issue of style of the substance. At no point did the president really address um, the many, many specific failures that people under 30 will have to deal with. I mean, he briefly mentioned employment. Angela, you still with us? Angelo, can you hear me? Seems like a bit of a technical challenge there with Angelo Fikwi doing the uh, weekly Asari report and he's giving us feedback and analysis on the debate and on the President's State of the Nation address and how the President uh, responded to what uh, opposition MPs had to say. Let's try and get Angelo back on the line, inshallah, and then uh, we continue the discussion. All right, so Angelo, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Yeah, you, you were talking about his focus on the economic aspects of it. Yes, so he can focus on employment opportunities provided, about the, what he calls growth of the economy, but what that rate is needs to be uh, investigated. But that doesn't shift the experience that millions of people in South Africa have of unemployment. 
um, of unemployability, of having experienced a poor schooling, of masses of dropouts out of our schools, of the quality of the education delivered, not just in terms of the curriculum, but in terms of the quality of teaching delivered. Um, are our teachers the appropriate people to be delivering the curriculum? Is the curriculum appropriate to what it is we need as a country? Is there a very facile or superficial discussion about the curriculum in relation to jobs rather than to creating citizens who can also problem solve? Um, you know, if we live in a country in which for a very long time, 78% up to 80% of 10-year-olds couldn't read for meaning, what has been done to make sure that those people are rescued? What happens to the millions of people that we assume or think, are, um, based on research, uh, suffer from the consequences of debilitating early childhood development, malnutrition, um, and, and lack of, of, of food? So my sense is that the president continues to sketch a very positive picture, which I think he sees as the peddling of hope, because he suggests that many of the people in the opposition benches are peddling despair. Um, but in an election here, it's obvious that this is what's going to happen. The question should be, what is it that his administration in the last year has done? Where have they failed? Has he accounted for those failures? So he talks about the successes in ESCOM. When many of us continue to experience, two days after he delivered his sonar stage six uh, load shedding, uh, the load shedding is ongoing as we speak. So this idea that things are improving may not match the experiences and perceptions that millions of people have. And I think there is an opportunity that both the opposition parties and the president fail to address. What is it that in telling the story, let's not forget that under Jacob Zuma, the slogan used to be, we have a good story to tell. That was the ANC's rallying cry. Is the new rallying cry unspoken? We have a partial or selective story to tell. Um, and that, I think, is partly why so many people um, in our country have disengaged from formal politics, because the stories that our politicians tell are selective. They are partial stories that do not match people's experiences. And I think it's becoming more and more important for citizens, all civic actors and our politicians to begin to acknowledge some of those urgently um, desperate stories that need to be told and need to be dealt with so that people do not feel left out, not just of formal politics, but of the gains of the state that the president is rightly so proud of over the last 30 years in a post-apartheid, post-colonial state. Now, National Treasury is in dispute with Chane Metro about the municipal grants that it has received and the underspend on specific projects. Is this a further sign of austerity, bad faith politics in an election year or a legitimate exercise in, in budgeting? In other words, is this extraordinary for Tswane or is this not unusual for Treasury in its relationship with municipalities on these conditional grants? So these grants are conditional um, in, in all sorts of ways. And we know that in all budgetary systems, people sometimes do not spend money because what they required money for didn't need to be done. And that money is then returned and it's underspent. But when you then apply for money in a future budgetary cycle, the money you did not spend get subtracted usually from your application. And so if you sort of required, let's say, 10 million uh, rand in this year, but you only spend 6 million, you cannot request 10 million in the following cycle because they're going to ask what happened to, if you returned the 4 million, why is it that you continue to request 10 million? Now, the municipal grant system is conditional upon uh, auditing as well as uh, financial, shall we say, probity on the part of the municipal authority. And we know that we've had 
qualified and unqualified audits from the Auditor General. And what has traditionally happened in South Africa is that municipalities are quite, shall we say, risk-averse. So they end up not spending where they think corruption might intervene, poor service delivery, projects might not be completed, and an audit might result um, you know, in, in negative consequences if, if there are concerns around wasteful expenditure. So we've seen this in other municipalities in the Eastern Cape, in um, KwaZulu-Natal, where they don't spend money and it goes back. And the problem there is that the citizens and residents of those municipalities suffer because services that were promised to them are then not delivered because money has to be returned. The second problem that we have is that... Um, not only is this a problem for Treasury, because while well, Minister Gudongwana has said again and again that, you know, jokingly, that he's not the austerity finance minister, we have seen massive budget cuts. And the president himself spoke to these massive budget cuts, for example, on the security cluster. But there are massive budget cuts on the social spending as well as in places like education. And that money has to be recouped somewhere. And it may be that in this year, those kinds of mechanisms and maneuvers to make sure that municipalities do not overspend, but also do not underspend um, and continue to get the benefit of those municipal grants, that that process will become more publicly visible as people who are not in the African National Congress circle will begin to point out that they feel their governors in various parts of South Africa, people deployed from their parties, are negatively impacted by decisions made by National Treasury. But it is important because National Treasury does have a legislated, mandated oversight function that municipalities can't just spend or underspend or overspend as they like. They must do so in relation to the Public Finance Management Act and particularly the Municipal Finance Management Act. So all monies have to be accounted for, whether they're spent or not spent. Um, and this, I think, is part of what we have to learn as citizens. We have to hold our governors to account at the local level, not only when they look like they're overspending, but also on underspending, because those have negative longer-term consequences for planning, particularly because that is the duty of National Treasury. They must withhold funds from future um, disbursements if past disbursements are underspent, because that means that there is very poor planning in a municipality where people are asking for money for projects which they then don't spend, and then th that money has to be returned. And this is, you know, part of every budget cycle in South Africa across the three tiers of government. So there are some elements that are hardly extraordinary. Um, what is of concern is that in the capital, with its challenges, there is this level of underspend on those specific projects around infrastructure um, and city uh, development. And that, I think, is something that the city authorities of Chwane will have to answer to, not just to Treasury, but to the citizens of Chwane. So, City Power in Joburg has gone on a set of exercises around the metro to inspect infrastructure use and collect revenue. And in the process, they've discovered illegal connections and they've disconnected private uh, and business premises with huge arrears. Uh, recently, a substation which was reportedly stolen 10 years ago, connected to a private residence in Indonesia South, was rediscovered. What do these uh, revelations say about the state of government across, across all three tiers in the economic heart of South Africa? So we know that a substation is hardly the size of a loaf of bread. It's a very large mm. object. And so here one has questions that if it took 10 years to discover what is hardly a needle in a haystack, where is crime intelligence? Where is police? We have multiple police services that the president was very proud of in his State of the Nation address. The South African police services, we have, um, you know, metropolitan police, we have crime intelligence 
um, and now we have these new crime wardens. How is it that 10 years can go by and you can literally hide in plain sight something that is as massive as a substation? Um, why does it take 10 years to discover this? So this is not just a failure of city power. This is a failure of policing and of crime intelligence. The second question is, of course, obviously what we see is city power doing what I think of as performative and not in a negative way, exercises to show that they're not just sitting around and doing nothing. Um, illegal connections, um, you know, arrears have to be dealt with because if businesses, and one of those businesses is a very important brand name in this country for motor manufacturing and motor sales, the question is, to what extent are businesses allowed to get away with this precisely because there isn't a monitoring, evaluation, and revenue collection system in places in everyday exercise? How is it that people can run up bills of 1.5 million or more um, and not be disconnected. When many of us who sit in our houses, if you underpay by five rand your electricity bill, you get cut off. If you're on the pay-as-you-go system, if you, you know, you, 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 your electricity runs out, you don't have electricity. Uh, so the question that I think many will have of city power is beyond this public exercise, which is to show that city power is working, what other mechanisms are being put in place by the municipal government, by the provincial government, by the national government, not just to disconnect people, but and not just to recoup the revenue at the local level, but to get crime intelligence of the Southern police services and prosecutors involved to follow up on not just who the individuals are who, you know, had the substation in their possession, but how they got to that. And here Organized criminality is a crucial component of how it is that our state is being incapacitated. And it is unfair to expect communities on their own to simply become whistleblowers. The state has a very important role with its billions of funds to do the crime intelligence necessary to follow up on this. And there I think all three tiers of government are failing because combating crime shouldn't be and isn't the function of a utility in a municipality. It isn't the job of citizens. It is the job of the state to protect us from criminality. And for city power to have to do this 10 years after the fact means that there have been failures in policing, in crime intelligence, and in the prosecutorial processes that are necessary to follow up on why it is that something as large as a substation could sit undiscovered for 10 years, why it is that a business... Um, as significant as the one that was cut off in Indonesia, could run the arrears that it had. Where are the inspectors? Where? And these are also employment opportunities that have disappeared as we've cut back those services in the state. So I think this is not just city power. It's not just the city of Johannesburg. It is provincial and national government who must look to themselves because the constitution requires all three tiers of government to work together in order to deliver services to the people. And it shouldn't take 10 years to find an object as large as a mini substation that disappeared 10 years ago, again, connected to the grid and functioning. All right. Uh, Angelo, as always, thank you for your time. Shukran. That was this week's Asri Report with Angelo Fish.